everyone, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today, Mark is not here. He's snorkeling in Malta. So if you're here for the how is it going, Mark section, you're going to be a bit disappointed. But if you like good stories, you are not going to be disappointed because today I am with John Dijkstra from Fastax Blog. And John makes over $70,000 per month from his portfolio of websites, mostly from display ads, which is quite interesting and without any kind of link building. So I wanted to dig a little bit deeper and understand his model and how he does things. We talk a lot about the tools he uses, the services he uses, his approach to keyword research and a bunch of other things. So it's going to be a really good one. I think you will really enjoy it. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. All right. So as I told you guys in the interview, we are today with John Dijkstra because Mark is snorkeling in Malta right now. And I wanted someone that actually does proper online marketing to come on the podcast. So I got John Dijkstra. He's one of the few online marketing blogs that I've been reading for a long time That because he has original data, which is unlike most of the stuff that you read online. So John, welcome to the podcast and thank you for coming. Thanks for having me, Gail. Lucky Mark, eh? I'm snorkeling. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, he was like, yeah, I'm going on holiday. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. And it's like, well, <laughs> well, apparently you can still take holidays these days. Yeah. And I wanted to have you on the podcast anyway. We did a, we did a guest post. You did a guest post on our site like a really long time ago. I think it was like three years ago or something like that. Yeah. Where you talked about ad arbitrage. And uh, I think you've switched to SEO since then, right? Oh, pretty much. Yeah. Like 99%. I still buy a little traffic here and there, but I mean, it's not the main, main traffic driver for any of my new sites. Yeah. Actually, that's my first question. Like, can you explain your model? Cause I think like we're more focused on affiliate marketing. You seem to be a lot more focused on advertising You're using AdStrive, which is also my favorite uh, ad network. So it's going to be, but can you just spend like two minutes to explain your model to people that are listening and how it might be different from the stuff that you might have seen from us, etc. I'm familiar with what you guys do, the affiliate thing. It's great. That's how I got started, but I launched a site that grew really quickly and it just wasn't, I thought it'd be a big affiliate hit and it wasn't. And so I had an AdSense account and I just slapped up some ads and they actually earned really well. I was surprised. So I kind of moved the whole direction in terms of monetization over to display ads. And basically, you know, for anybody who's new to this, it's just inserting little ad code snippets, wherever you want ads to show up on your site. And I started doing that. And like, what I really like is the, the revenue is really consistent. You know, affiliates, you can have like huge days and then low days and it, it can be somewhat volatile. But, you know, with, with display ads, if your traffic's consistent, your revenue is generally going to be consistent. It goes up and down throughout the year, but not day to day so much. So I really like that. And so I, I kind of switched the whole, whole, my whole niche content publishing business over to display ads. Yeah, I did see a bit of a hit on our ads from the COVID crisis, obviously. I think a lot of people saw it uh, like decrease quite a lot, but it's been recovering quite nicely since then. So I think it's not so bad, right? Like, how did that affect you, actually? Yeah, it definitely went down for me, too. Like, in, I remember the like, first week of April. March was actually yeah, real yeah. decent, and then first week of April came, and it was like a cliff. And I thought, oh, you know why? It's corporate budgets, you know, it's like they're monthly. So it's like they're, they're, and they're okay, and then like the corporate budget just is renewed for the month, so it just drops, you know? Yeah, I know. But fortunately, it kind of bounced back. And I got that first week was really bad. And I thought, Oh, boy, this, this could be like really, really bad year, but it kind of bounced back a little bit. And then, like you say, it's especially since midsummer, it's slowly sort of climbed back, but it hasn't been a huge bounce for me, though. I have to say it's been very, very gradual. Yeah. 
So it's like, yeah, for us, we dropped a lot. I, honestly, the curve looked like the stock market. Like that's exactly like, <laughs> yeah. it was the same curve, you know, uh, for RPM. So it's like, um, but I guess it depends on the sites and the niches, especially if you have like travel content or something. I'm pretty sure you didn't recover at this point. I guess it depends on the industry. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, I like ads because then you can rank for any keyword and you don't really have to worry about intent. You don't have to worry about pretty much anything. You just need to get people on your site and you get paid. And these new networks, right? Like Mediavine, AdStrive, etc. They've massively upgraded the payout from ads. It used to be... I used to hate AdSense, you know? Like I was making like three to five bucks from AdSense per thousand visitors or something. And then I think the first one I tried was Ezoic. It was based on your blog, actually. I tried Ezoic, which I think bumped me to around 10 bucks or something. But the problem with Ezoic is it, it made my slide, my site really, really slow. And then later I tried Mediavine, actually. Sorry, AdStrive. And uh, yeah, we got more than $15 RPMs and $50 to $20 pre-COVID. And I was like, wow, this is actually starting to compete with Amazon, especially when they start cutting their affiliate rates, right? Yeah, I, I know. It's, it, it is crazy. <laughs> I, rem- I remember AdSense. I, I thought I, I was doing well with AdSense. And then, yeah, like you had the same migration. I went over to Zoic and I literally like skyrocketed ad revenue. And so recently this year, I switched again over to AdThrive. I was accepted. So I, I figured why not? I sort of like the whole... They take care of everything for you, so that's kind of a nice, nice aspect of using their service. And, and definitely, the revenue is like it still it still amazes me actually, like how high you can get ad revenue per thousand visitors on a site. Like say, even for really non buyer intent stuff. Like obviously, like a really really good buyer intent affiliate page is going to out earn ads all the time, right? But when you look at the aggregate, when you look at all your content across a large site. You're gonna have a mix of content, and that's where the ads can sort of definitely do well with you know earning money for all of your content. Yeah, you have income reports, right? Can you let people know like more or less how you how much you make per month with us? Because you publish it on your blog, so I guess people that listen to this podcast oh, yeah, don't yeah. read your blog might be interested in knowing that. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I've managed to build up the the ad, and I, I do still do affiliate uh, marketing too. You know, a fair amount, but it's a small percentage, but. I think last month, which was August 2020, it, the revenue came in a little over 70000 just for my niche sites. Uh, that doesn't include anything like with the whole fat stacks where I talk about how I do this stuff. That's a totally separate business I don't include. So these are just, uh, I've been growing the number of niche sites I've had over the last couple of years. So that, that takes all of my content publishing sites. Yeah, I saw your breakdown. You basically have one big site that's like making most of the money and then you have several sites in the four figures basically and then a few that are growing and you're kind of managing that as a portfolio, right? Exactly. I mean, the long-term goal, obviously, is try to get the, all of them up quite a bit. But, you know, at the end of the day, and, and I know other people are the same boat as me. I mean, if you have multiple sites, usually one site is the big earner. So you're going to dedicate, like that. You're gonna dedicate the lion's share of your, your time and your, your reinvestment every month into that. Because why, why would I, you know, disregard or ignore the, the bread and butter? But, you know, you're always trying to grow the other ones. And, and it sure would be nice. The main reason I expand into other sites is just to be diversified. I mean, yeah, I've got a site that has a lot of traffic and earns really well, but I mean, anybody who's been in this business for a number of years, you know, you, 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 you could lose 50% of your traffic for just or more. The blue, or, or more. And, and you did nothing wrong or anything and it just happens. It's just the way it is. So, you know, I'd love to just be diversified into more sites and, and would really help me sleep better at night for sure. Fair enough. That was one of my questions for you, actually. It's like, uh, you know, I was seeing like, you have quite a few sites, actually. Like, honestly, like, 
for us, I hate working on more than like three projects at once or something. Like I, I tend to not like this three or four maximum. But like you have like you report on six or seven or something, and you say you have others. I think so. My question was like, how do you decide between starting a new site versus expanding your existing sites? Basically, yeah. What I did, I have seventeen in total, which is probably a bit much, and a few of them I'm probably gonna ignore. <laughs> I don't know. You know how you start some of these things and it just kind of fizzles, but. The reason what I really wanted to do is I started, I, st I still write for my sites. And so I kind of wanted to be in a niche where I have even a, a mild interest in it. So like I started a, a travel niche site and I never planned on doing a travel site, but I take a few vacations every year and I take photos and whatever. And so now I can come back and I don't know, I write about it. And so I may not produce a ton of content on these sites, but they're just sitting there and I add some content, a little bit of content every month and it'll maybe slowly grow, right? It's just sort of aging and that sort of thing. So it's just a good way to maybe, the way I see it is sort of start these small sites and use what I'm doing in my life because I like writing about, I actually really enjoy writing for travel blog. It's interesting, but I have, a, I own, you know, we own a couple cars. And so I started a car site and, you know, like literally if you own one car, preferably a little bit newer, I mean, the amount of articles you can actually write about like one car model is ridiculous. And so I have a couple of cars and so I can write about it. And so I started an auto blog and, that, and that's the only reason. So it's really just an easy way for me to come up with easy topics that I can write really good content about because it's really just part of my life. I play a couple Fair of sports. I play a couple of sports. I write about the sports that I play. You know, I buy, I buy tennis rackets. I buy tennis, you know, court shoes and all this stuff. I can write about it. It's like, you can write about it so fast. So this is the reason I sort of expanded and that's basically how I chose my various new niches. So that's the only selection. It's like, oh, I'm doing this in my life. I'm just going to start a site about this. That's exactly it. Because it makes it so easy to write good articles about it. I mean, like, okay, I just bought a new tennis racket. And so I could take a couple photos, go play a few games on it. And I write about it intelligently and helpfully to whoever visits the site because I've actually used this racket. And I can bang those, those reviews or info articles out in like an hour or two. And, and I kind of enjoy doing it. So that, that's really what drives my niche selection overall, especially these days. Yeah, fair enough. It's funny because like people who take our course must be like banging their head because my niche selection is like 30 videos of like checking all the stats of everything, etc. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, ah, I just write about whatever I like. And it's just walking. <laughs> so there, obviously there's multiple ways to skin a cat, right? It's like, and both can work. I think the reason why you don't have to worry so much is also because of the way you monetize mostly. Because when you monetize with ads, again, you don't have to worry too much even about buyer intent or anything like that. Because anyway, with things like retargeting, etc., and now Google being so smart, like they're doing the same as Facebook with audiences, etc., they find people on the internet that want to buy the products and people buy impressions on your site, even if it has nothing to do with the issue that you're writing about. And so with modern advertising, it's like, then that makes, essentially that makes niche selection pretty easy and you can... I think most niches I've seen, it's like at some point I did a survey on Notary Hacker Pro and I think like 40 people send us their RPMs from like Mediavine, AdStrive, et cetera. So we got a lot of data and almost everyone was in the same range of RPM. Like, you know, it was, let's say 13 to 13 to $22. Let's say that was the range basically for absolutely every site, regardless of the niche, regardless of how much traffic they get and everything. So like advertising services at this point, they'll just reward you for road traffic. And if you're able to generate traffic with your... And I want to talk a bit about how you pick your topics later because I was reading your blog about this as well. Like your blog post called I'm Happy With The Crumbs and picking an article topic out of a hat or something. So I want to talk a little bit about that later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's quite interesting. But yeah, I want to talk a little bit about AdThrive because I think people will care about that because that's your main monetization method at this point. When did you start using them? 
January this year, 2020. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. So before you were using Mediavine, Ezoic? Uh, Ezoic. Never did, never used Mediavine. So I was with Ezoic okay. for quite some time. Mm. Years ago, I was with Ezoic a long time. And before that was AdSense. And then I, I switched over to a, um, um, a different uh, Monumentric and then also AdSense again. Sort of was doing a lot of testing and then I went back to Ezoic. That was really good for me. And then I was accepted in AdThrive. I was rejected in AdThrive a few years ago. So I sort of wrote them huh. off. Yeah, I met the traffic threshold, but they're very, very picky, right? I mean, just because you get the traffic threshold doesn't mean you're in. So I decided to apply again late 2019. I was accepted. I thought, well, you know, I'll just I'll just take the plunge and, and move my site over there. I subsequently moved all my sites over to them. Yeah, it's like I checked your. So you have a case study site on your site, right? A, a, a bicycle site that yeah, you're yeah. like uh, documenting to show people how you're doing site. My feedback on this site and why we refuse to uh, thrive probably is the branding. Actually, like you use a lot of stock images, and that's the kind of stuff that like uh, is a red flag for them. So I think if you with the same traffic, if you just brand your homepage and a few blog posts that are featured on the homepage, you probably pass the vetting process if they didn't like it the first time, actually. Like, it's, you know, they want mommy bloggers, basically. That's essentially what they want. They want people who, like, make a recipes in their kitchen and then just post a picture of that, etc. And so they're less fans of, like, people who use stock images, etc. I think it might be that. I don't know if they gave you all the feedback, but from other people I talked to that tried to join, that, that would be it, actually. Interesting. Okay. I didn't know that. But now you can approve, you can put more sites and you don't even have to hit the 100K traffic to put more sites on media, on AdStripe, sorry. Like you only need 50k traffic to your sites, I think, to add more sites. Actually, they did an SEO audit for you as well, right? They did, yeah. They asked if I wanted to do it. it was sweet, it was amazing, actually. Like I couldn't believe it. I've paid for worse. Let's put it that way. Okay. <laughs> How did that go? What happened exactly? Well, I didn't really do anything. I just said, yeah, sure, go ahead. And they just emailed me the results. They got this whole portal that you log into and a whole bunch of stuff. But tell me what the like top key problems are and how to fix it. And that's what they did. Like there was like all these spreadsheets and data and all the stuff like I didn't even bother looking into. I don't I don't really care. But there were some glaring problems and principally that I had a, a good number of affiliate links that didn't have a, a no follow attribute to it. So that's an easy sort of fix. Not a fast fix, but an easy fix. And then there were uh, the biggest problem was uh, a lot of broken links. And this happens, you know, I haven't cleaned my site up over years, broken links happen. Uh, outbound internal the whole nine yards and so they just identified those but what was really cool is they said if you like you can use a service called blog fixer i never heard about them they said we work with them and we'll send them your spreadsheets to them directly you don't even i didn't have to get involved which i love because i don't want to get involved and they just sent all the suggested fixes to them and and they cleaned it all up so i was very happy about that the, the other interesting thing that they told me that needed fixing and i didn't know this you know how wordpress by default will uh, create a separate URL for images, right? Yeah, unless you indicate none in the image editor. Anyway, I had quite a few that, in fact, I was using a light box. I was opening it up and it was creating another another URL. And they strongly suggested just get rid of that and just don't have your images open at all on any other uh, URL. So I took them up I on agree, that. Yeah. They fixed that as well for me. So, um, you know, these are the types of tedious fixes that would take a long time. And it's just really, I mean, maybe some people know how to do it auto, with automation. I don't. And so the service did it. They obviously use automation. I mean, I, for the, what I paid, they're not going to have some guy sitting there for weeks. fixing. You paid 200 something dollar, right? Like 285. Yeah. Yeah. And my site. Yeah. That's pretty sizable good. Site. Yeah. Yeah. It would have taken me weeks. So you got a bunch I'd of ACO work done. 
you got a bunch of SEO work done for free by AdThrive, and then you just got all the like they did all the work for two hundred eighty dollars on that service on Blockfixer, right? Pretty much, yeah, it was a good deal. Cool. I guess like that's why I like AdThrive because they actually care about you. But I know that when you were on Isaac, you tried Isaac Premium as well, right? So Isaac Premium, they have a service where they essentially charge you for better ad inventory or something. It's a bit weird to me, to be honest, that like, why don't you just, I guess they take from your earnings or something, but like, how did it work for you? Because I guess like I saw some people ask about this on, on Atari Hacker, actually. Are you talking about Azoic? The Azoic Premium? Yeah. Premium ads? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You could... You get invited, I guess, if you have a certain amount of traffic, you'll get invited to Ezo premium advertisers. Apparently, they arrange more direct relationships with advertisers, and so the uh, RPM will go up as a result. Um, I always made a profit. I, I did it. I took them up on it when I was with Zoic. I made a profit. It w- wasn't as much as I wanted, but I didn't like the whole idea of paying up front to be part of a program. <laughs> and then, like, I kept telling them, I'm like, well, can't you just do the traditional... Yeah rev share with the publisher. Let's split this. However, you know, you know, make it generous like everybody else, but they wouldn't do it. And so like, well, you know, some months my, my ROI would be like 20%, which is not great. And plus when you get in a million, couple million visitors a month, you're upfront cash, like you're in a high premium plan. So you got to pay like $15,000 to be in it. Okay. Right. And then you might, make, like, you might make 22. So you profit seven. But you're out of that, you know, 15,000 for, you know, up front for 30, 45 days. I don't know, something like that. And I don't know. I, I, that was the one thing. I kept going to talk to him and saying, I, I just don't really like the setup, you know, but they're, they're sticking with it. So it must be working. Yeah, no, I'm quite surprised about this model. It's like, uh, if you're so confident it's better, like what, like make a rev share, even if you take a lot of money, then it, like, what feels bad is like you have to pay to put ads on your site, which is already like, yeah, you feel like you're essentially selling off your traffic already. So you're giving the traffic and you're giving the money and then you hope for a return. So you take all the risks basically. Yeah. So I wasn't coming. I wanted to ask because like, maybe it's amazing. I, I didn't try it. I've just heard about it. You do profit. I mean, I never lost money. Okay, so I mean, it's, it's kind of dumb not to do it if you're invited because you will make money. It's just, it's just the way that the concept that it's set up is yeah. just... Feels yeah, bad. Yeah, just, it doesn't sit well with me. Fair enough. I guess that you're making more money with AdStrive now though, right? Yeah, I would say it's really hard to say. I got to say, I always made really good revenue with Ezoic. I don't think I, I make... If I do make more, it's not much more. But it's almost impossible to track because I switched over in January, yeah. right? And then you know, changed. COVID hit, but, but even, even if COVID hadn't have hit, like it's, it's hard to know these things, right? Until let's say I had like three years of Azoic data and then you need, you know, at least one or two years of Adthrive data be able to really be able to say like, yeah, it went up or it went down because I mean, every month is different within a given year. So Fair enough. So you'd say it's quite comparable. You say it's comparable. Say revenue, it's comparable. That's what I would say. Okay. I just... Yeah, that's been my finding, but I can't say for certainty. Okay. I mean, it's close enough that it's within margin of error. That's what you would say, probably. Yeah. Okay, cool. Anything else I didn't add or ask on that networks? Because I wanted to talk about affiliate marketing after that. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything Anything I should ask? But you're the pro here. Like, you're, like you're the guy I read when I want to know about ad networks. So. Yeah, man. Uh, I could tell you that, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, well, should I put ads on content with affiliate links? And I'm like unequivocally yes yes, okay, yes I've, ta- I've talked to people who are like like they'll slap on media vine on an affiliate site and their affiliate revenue is the same and all they did is they doubled the revenue with media vine display ads it's like a no-brainer like 
I don't even, there might, there's a, maybe about 20 URLs in my entire portfolio sites where I would turn off display ads just because of the way the affiliate links are working. But aside from that, it's like ads and affiliate and like, it's just aggregate way more money. So that's been my experience for sure. Yeah, I tend to like turn it off if it's like a really high paying affiliate program. So I'm just going to take an example. Let's say hosting. Let's say you have a custom deal with HostGator. They pay you $200 per sale or something. Yeah, something like yeah. That. Then I'll be like, okay, then I'll focus on, I'll focus on the offer. It's a lot of money per sale. It's worth it. But like if you're talking Amazon, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, like we turn that some together with Amazon and we have, yeah, we make the same money basically. Totally worth it. What else would I say? Just get ads on as quickly as you can. I mean, if you just start with AdSense, like do it, put them on and then just work your way up the ad network food chain, so to speak. Like get in a Zoic as quickly as you can. They take young sites, new sites, be a game changer for revenue and then uh, continue, you know, once you get more traffic, try try something else and, and keep keep putting the time into it. Like, because when you have 100,000 visitors a month and you improve your RPM $5, it's a lot of money. Like it's a big improvement, right? Relative to what you're making without getting more traffic. So I always have over the years really worked at trying to squeeze out more money per thousand visitors because it makes a big difference. Yeah. And also it's so much easier now than it was like five, six years ago. Like it's like before you had to mix more. I remember you were mixing. Yeah. And uh, media.net, I think sure. that was the two that I had like a whole, I had a, I had a cocktail, man. <laughs> I had an advertising I cocktail that. on my site <laughs> and I would tweak, like I would constantly be sort of playing around with trying to get the, the, you know, the placements. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. You're right. You know, I mean, that's what I like about AdThrive. It's like, they just, it's okay, done for you. Yeah. it's done. You don't even have to think about it anymore. And which has been really nice. So that's how it's worth at least trying different networks, etc. Uh, MediaNet, I would not recommend that much anymore. It's kind of like not tend to be very good for us. I think we still have like one site that shows some ad blocks because like it can't be in the other networks. But like other than that, like I, I wouldn't bother. It's like you, you make more from that sense even at this point. But yeah, it's, it used to be a lot harder. So people who complain, like should look back a few years how people were doing ads before. That was a bit of a nightmare compared to what it is now. I even knew the, the time of like the, the double click manager, etc. You would input all your ad codes, etc. And then put your blocks around it was like uh, a very very old school publisher solution by google it was <laughs> yeah. a nightmare to it was a nightmare to navigate okay i want to talk about affiliate marketing now because you still do affiliate marketing yes like you do a lot less affiliate marketing and ads right like you mostly focus on ads at this point yeah i'd say like with my niche sites my affiliate revenue out of that 70k would be about 10 Okay. But one thing that I saw in your income report is in your expenses. I saw that you use Get Lasso instead of, and I think you have an article on like Lasso versus. Yeah, I, um, I, I, yeah it's like I was wondering how, how, how you like it or not because I haven't tried it actually. Uh, it's one of the things I keep wanting to try. I yeah. haven't tried it yet. So. Okay. Well, first, I think the pricing is bad. I think it's too expensive. And I told them that, but they're not going to change it. They're not going to listen to me. But here's why I use it. And this is the only reason to use it, say, versus like AAWP or uh, any of those other uh, Amazon specific. If you want to promote merchants that are on Amazon, Lasso is awesome because you can input any affiliate link you want into the boxes. And I do happen to promote a lot of non-Amazon stuff. And so that's why I use it because I can promote some software. I, I mean, you can see I even use it on Fatsacks blog. You can mix it. You don't just have to do Amazon. Yeah, exactly. You can mix Amazon yeah. and other things. But it's it's great with this. Amazon. It'll pull the image and do all the stuff that you want an Amazon plugin to do. But if you want to promote some software or something on Amazon, it's really easy to use it. And that's why I use it. And I like it for that. And it's worth it. I mean, it's 19. 
they don't have an unlimited site option. That's what kind of annoys me, right? Like they don't have like unlimited sites for 60 bucks a month, let's say, right? So it's, it's flat out 19 bucks a month for every every site. You got to pay for every site. That's my only beef. Aside from that, I really like it. Um, so actually my solution for that, it's like, it wasn't released and I was already like, uh, you know, Amazon like was cutting commissions, etc. We're like, okay, how do we work on hybrid pages? Basically, how do we do some Amazon, some not Amazon, etc. And uh, I actually, we have custom sections that we built for Elemental that are like oh, you know, yeah. the, the same boxes, yeah. etc. Yeah. And we just basically just duplicate them and just change the links. That's and cool. Use the, use the short code in um, all the, you can insert the block with Gutenberg. If you do. Right. And that's the solution we have. It's probably not as nice as like a custom plugin, but what it does is like we have essentially full, like full control over even the way it looks, etc. And we can change that and do everything. So I guess you trade a little bit more customizability for a little bit less convenient, I would say. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty smart, the Elementor solution. That's good. That's what we do. And we do that for the comparison tables as well. So, you know, like the, the all the rage for random previews, for example, these days is to put like the three products on top below the title at this point, And then below that, you have the article. Same, you can make uh, page templates with Elementor. You can do these kind of things and just like insert short codes. Or yeah. you can use uh, custom fields. We do that. And then you put this stuff and it just like essentially looks that way without having to use another plugin. So I do that, but I wanted to know what you do, how Lasso was working for you because it seems maybe like more out of the box solution if you don't want to deal with it, you know? Which is me in a nutshell. <laughs> I would say the, uh, yeah. the easy way, the path of least resistance. I think it's often the way to go to actually figure out what works. It's like you can do this custom stuff a little bit later. It's like maybe the better way is to start with Lasso, figure out what's working with your hybrid pages without having to customize too much. And then if you want to like start optimizing your layouts, etc., then you can switch to Elementor. But it's not your model because your model is doing a lot of pages and not trying to focus too much on the details, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. I saw another thing that you talked about. You talked about using ConvertBox to promote affiliate offers via pop-ups. I'm happy because I've been pushing for that pretty hard to a lot of people because it's like I was like, you guys are leaving a lot of money on the table, especially for high paying offers. It works really well on info content for us, etc. We increased our revenue by 50% on the site doing that recently, actually, for example. It's amazing, man. I think it's going to be 10 grand a month looking at the numbers. I've been doing right it for now. six years, actually. I used to do it <laughs> when we ranked for ClickBank reviews, right? We used to rank for all the biggest ClickBank reviews. And you know how ClickBank, you know, they have the normal price and then they have the discount price, you know? Yeah. Like, for every offer. And what I would do is I would actually, when I would do the review, the normal text of the content, I would put the normal price. Like, so let's say they were like, oh, it's like $69 instead of $200, let's say. So I put like normal price, $200. Every other review would put the discount price right away. And on exit intent, we'd be like, oh, special discount, $69 instead of 200, click here to claim the discount only for like for readers and people would click. And this was by far our highest EPC. Some days we're over $5 EPC actually from doing this. And that works really well for us for stores that have discount sections as well. Um, so especially so those who use Shopify and who have like, you know, new promotions every day. Then we link to that and we say our promotion ends at midnight, et cetera. Click here to get it. And we send people to through these custom affiliate links with the pop-ups. So I was really happy to see that you're doing that. And yeah, like, I wanted to know how it's working for you, but 10 grand a month is really good, actually. Like, uh, do you promote like high paying offers? Yeah, fairly. Yeah. I mean, lower conversion, higher. I don't promote Amazon. I promote other merchants. Yeah. And yeah, I wouldn't recommend putting Amazon links in, in pop-ups. I actually, it's not allowed, I think. This is interesting. I, I don't know. I did a live chat. I wanted to find out and I asked and they said, they didn't say it's not allowed. They said it won't track it. <laughs> So I don't really it's, get that. It's not true. 
And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that, but I didn't uh, argue with them, right? So basically, I, I took it as like, don't do it. So I don't do it, and uh, I use yeah. other, I use other merchants. Yeah, that's the thing with Amazon, right? You can do the chat twice and get a two different answers, <laughs> but they don't also get it because you say pop up, like so pop up imagines like a new browser window popping right. above or under your browser, whereas these are not real pop ups; these are just JavaScript that looks like a pop-up. Yeah. Um, and so it comes from the same referring URL, and so it would absolutely track it, and they're wrong. But yeah, they don't get the nuance, basically. So it would work, but they might pity you on the uh, on, on breaking the rules and like be quite annoying. Basically. I wouldn't risk it. Even if Amazon, everyone hates them, you still probably want to have access to their free program at this point. So uh, Oh, for yeah. sure, yeah. Don't want to lose it up. <laughs> Actually, that was one of my questions. Like, How did the Amazon update affect you? And did it change your um, strategy? Yeah, no, no, I didn't change my strategy, but it didn't really affect me. Like, I don't do a whole lot of Amazon, so I, I can't really say. I didn't really notice a difference, but I, I don't, Amazon isn't a focus for me. Fair enough. It's just a keyword that pops up like that, and you're like, oh, actually, I could promote on Amazon, and you just throw it in there. Yeah, there's really nothing that's all that focused. There might be a few reviews, not a lot of traffic. Yeah, I, I can't say I noticed a difference. My, my revenue is about the same as it was, but. Fair enough. And that's kind of like the thing with ads, right? It's like, it might be slow to ramp up, although it's a lot better with the new networks, but it's so much more stable than like swinging for just a few keywords on Google and then just kind of going up and going down, et cetera. So I think some people will be jealous of the stability you probably have with like all your sites, et cetera. I wanted to jump on traffic next. I know that you're big on Pinterest and on, on Google, right? Is that the only two ways you drive traffic to your site these days? Those are, those are two main, yeah. Yeah. It's like I was reading your description of your income report sites and you were like, oh, Pinterest is great. Every other social profile is useless. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, well, fair enough. I mean, if you're like running an ad business, I can understand that. I think social profiles are here for more if you have like your own products and things like that. Well, oh, if you're an influencer, which is a totally different business, like, like you and Mark with Authority House, or me on fat stocks, right? That's a totally different business model. Like that's not even apples to apples at all. Yeah, apples yeah, yeah. So, you know, is social media good for these situations? Yeah, absolutely. YouTube, Instagram, all that stuff. Absolutely. But for like, a, like my tennis and squash sports website, which, yeah. is, which is evergreen content about what I'm playing and doing, you know, like, no, nobody's going to care, right? Like even Pinterest is, it wouldn't be good for that niche. I don't even think, I think I might be trying it, but yeah, I mean, you got to pick the channels that actually make sense. Like, could you get two visitors? I like that. Sure, but is two visitors worth the 20 minutes yeah, it took to get them? No, it's not worth it. I like that because, you know, you go on Facebook groups about SEO, about SEO et cetera, and people are like, oh, you should diversify your oh. traffic sources, et cetera. And I'm like... It's like, first you need to make money from one thing and then we'll see. But uh, it's like, it's not that simple. Also, I, I see a lot of SEOs fantasizing about paid traffic and how immensely scalable it is, et cetera. Imagining that um, the revenue is going to be the same whether you spend $100 a day or $100,000 a day and that all stats are going to stay the same, et cetera. And I feel like, I feel people don't like, you know, it, they fantasize about that idea of diversifying, not understanding the other traffic sources. And I, I like to hear from your mouth Someone that's actually doing really well with this, that's like actually focused just on SEO and maybe Pinterest. Yeah, like, like put it this way. This, okay, if you're diversified, okay, and let's say you've got 45% of traffic from Google, which is a pretty low percentage for most sites, yeah. right? That'd be really low. But let's just say that. And let's say you got 25 from Pinterest and let's say the balance from Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. I would consider that for a niche site, really diversified traffic source. I mean, that's about as diversified as you could hold for but let's put it this way. 
if all your Google traffic died overnight and you were left with the bounce, (laughs) are you really going to be motivated to work on that site? No, I wouldn't. I'd be like, it's, it's a goner. It's out, right? The value has plummeted. So if you're going to work on diversifying your traffic and get just a few trickles in, it's just not really worth it. Like, at the end of the day, Google is, is you know, the, the, the big traffic driver. There are some sites with, where Pinterest actually is the, the main traffic source. And I've talked to people with that, which is interesting. And it can be huge traffic, but none of mine are like that. Pinterest is a solid secondary, but that's it. Okay. Actually, that was going to be my next question. It's like, I used to do Pinterest. I haven't done it in a while, to be honest. I even unpublished our blueprint on this because it's just outdated. So I had to ask you, like, um, what's the play on Pinterest these days? Like, did anything change from the old Tailwind app days or, or not really? Uh, yeah, quite a bit. I actually have a whole course on Pinterest. I've, I, this uh-huh. year was like, I don't know, people, Pinterest did some changes with its algo. At least that's what I've read. I don't know. I don't know the people on Pinterest. They don't tell me these things. But I can tell you, I developed some new strategies that have worked really well. A little bit more labor intensive, I think, than they were in the past. I still use Tailwind for scheduling, but not a lot of the other bells and whistles they offer. And I was able to like from I think it was like February into like six to eight weeks later, I went from like seventy five thousand monthly visitors from Pinterest to over three hundred, and it's still well over three hundred. I've onboarded a few other sites, and they're starting to get some really good traction on Pinterest as well. Keep in mind, these are Pinterest-friendly niches. All right, like seriously, like if you're in a, a niche where it's not visual, like Pinterest not worth really trying. But if you're in a visual niche, I would say Pinterest right now offers some really good opportunity for some incremental traffic. Like 320, 330,000 visitors from Pinterest is uh, is pretty sweet for a niche site. And I'm very happy with that. It's been worth a lot of the effort I put into trying to figure that out. Yeah. Can you tell us more or less like what you do for Pinterest on some of your sites? Like, um, like what? I'm going to give you the whole course. <laughs> no, I'm not asking the whole course. I'm asking to at least get an idea of what's going yeah. on. You know? It really boils down to fresh content. Okay. Here, I'm going to sum it up in a nutshell right here. Treat Pinterest in terms of unique content as you do mm-hmm. Google for search content. It boils yeah. down to that. Big difference. It works. Yeah, our approach on social these days is actually to post content natively as well. It's like, I mean, it kind of depends. Like on the site where you try to drive engagement is like post content natively and build retargeting audiences when we sell products. And then I guess for you, you need to get the ticks through some Pinterest. It's a little bit different. Maybe you can tease, let's say you have a list post, you can tease three things and get people to click or something, right? Yeah, yeah. I pretty much, I don't get involved in group boards or try. Yeah, I think this is dead, right? Uh, like, I'm not interested. It, that's just a ton of work. I, I, I should knock it though, because I, I do know people who are still getting really good results with those. I don't think it's a dead approach. Mm-hmm. I think it works. Just never really worked well for me. Let me put it this way. It, the time put into it wasn't worth the result. And that's, that's an Fair important enough. thing I look at for everything. It's like, how much time or money am I putting into this? And is it worth it or could that those resources be used better elsewhere? And for that, yeah, totally. I just focus on just posting my own stuff, unique stuff consistently. And that's been really big for me. Cool. That makes sense. I need to definitely get back into this. You do, man. I want to talk about keyword selection, picking your topics, etc. Because you look like you're doing very different stuff from us, actually. And I saw that you also bought Answer the Public Premium. And I was like, quite surprised about this. Oh, Answer the answer Public? Answer the Public? Oh, yeah. yeah. I know, right? I'm like, but am I the only person who bought that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like YouTube Premium and Answer the Public Premium. is the two things that just <laughs> nobody that paid for it, you know? <laughs> But um, can you just walk us through, because you're so focused on advertising, can you walk us on 
through like how you pick your keywords because it must be quite different from what we do from what I've read. On oh the yeah, I'm at the point now where I need so many new article ideas a month that if it's even like an auto suggested suggestion with even Google search, like it comes, I don't care what the search volume is. Like if it's actually just registered as a search sentence or phrase or whatever, it gets put on the list and I'm getting an article on it. That's where I'm at. I mean, I'm really drilling down right now. And it's great for my larger traffic site, even though it has a lot of authority and I can rank for a lot of more competitive keywords. But I put it on there because I have 5,000 articles and I just need, I just need more topic ideas. So I'm not really that judicious. In terms of new sites, that approach is really useful because they have no authority. I'm not going to rank for anything really half decent. So I got to go for the really, really low competition stuff. And so that's been my approach. I just sort of sit there and like answer the public. I always find a, a few winners, at least one for every seed input I put. And that's why I pointed up the 99 bucks because it's sort of like I could sit there in an hour session and that alone will generate, I don't know, 30, 40 articles for me topic ideas really, really quickly, really fast, right? And that's really important to me is how fast I can do this. And so trying to work around their freebie two a day just wasn't working. I mean, it, it just, enough, it, yeah. it, this is totally worth it. And I do the same in Ahrefs and I do the same with keywordchitter.com. And I just sort of motor through these and I'm just like, I just fill up a spreadsheet in a few hours and that's it. And it has to be low competition, really, really specific topics, questions, even listicles, I write product reviews, but I make sure I, I own the product and I've it. I do have one in-house writer who I send the products to and they write, they pretty much, that's all they do is write reviews. So that's what I'm doing. Fair enough. What is low competition for you? Like, what would you say is low competition? Because I guess everyone has their definition of that. Ahrefs is a guide. It's not like, you know, that's mm-hmm. the way it is. But anything like below three is pretty sweet. Below five is good. JD, keyword difficulty? So keyword difficulty. But again, I mean, like, I rank for keyword difficulty 40 plus without building links. And I don't rank for keyword difficulty zeros that I've published. So it's not like this 100% like, oh, if you go after a keyword difficulty zero, you're guaranteed rank. It's not going to work that way. It's a numbers game. And that's why I just put out a lot of stuff. So yeah, for me, that would be a, a low. I almost sort of like, you know, when Ahrefs generates shows like 10 searches a month for a particular really long tail phrase or sentence, that's almost a surefire bet that, you know, you're going to rank for that pretty easily, right? When you write for 10 searches, that was my next question, actually. So I'm glad you transitioned to this. When you write <laughs> for like, mind, uh, I was, yeah, you're good. It's perfect. You can come back, you know? Oh, great. <laughs> when, when you write for a really low search volume on Ahrefs, like let's say zero or 10 or something, because I'm sure you get some keywords in Answer the Public that have like, you put them in Ahrefs as zero searches, you know? What traffic do you expect to that page? Like what happens in real life after you write the article? Because I know it's not the case. I know it's like, it probably gets a lot more traffic than what you see on Ahrefs. But I'm curious what your experience is. Oh yeah. And again, it's the, it, everything, it's a numbers game, but you can get thousand visitors a month from something that Ahrefs reports 10 searches a month. Usually my articles are fairly long, even going for something obscure. So you're naturally going to hit a lot of keywords just with the content, right? It's not just the one keyword. So, I mean, as a result of that, you're going to end up with usually a lot more traffic than the 10. But it does happen where an article just didn't work and I get less than 10. And that's, that's a dud. And these happen. So you can't expect like winners all the time. But generally speaking... I go for these ridiculously low search volume, according to Ahrefs, because I know if I do a good article on that, there's a lot more traffic to be had. There really is. 
And I'm sort of flying under the radar because a lot of the, the bigger brand sites, they probably filter these out for these, right? They don't, oh, they don't want them, right? They're like, they've got a formula and they're like, you know, we our minimum would be 150, 200, whatever it is. And so here you got this mass and the lower you go, the more keywords there are for a particular topic. It's sort of this exponential list, right? So like if you're digging around in the mock with the 10 and 20 searches per month that a lot of other sites don't want, the number of options of keywords is just mind blowing. Like there's so many. So that's where I, I go and that's what I'm looking for. I'm doing that a lot for affiliate marketing these days as well. Like these, these tend to be like really, really high intent. So that conversion rate should sort of roof if you like have a very specific, like, yeah. like I don't know, like best shoes for people who have only photos and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. Then totally. that you might end up having a good conversion rate. And we do that a lot. Like we do these content hubs. Now, don't you have a problem with keyword cannibalization? Don't you have pages that like yeah. maybe like start eating each other up? I probably, I probably do, but I don't worry too much about it. I do my best. I mean, I have a master spreadsheet that's an absolute like beast. I've got every site in there as a separate worksheet and we've got every article that's ever been published on any of the sites. So <laughs> we do check, but yeah, have things fallen through cracks? Sure. Have, have I doubled up on topics where there, there could be cannibalization? Usually what I find with cannibalization, what happens is Google is just not going to rank, just not really going to even list one of them. So, oh yeah, that was, a, that was, didn't work out, whatever. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't sweat these things. Like all I look at is that they aggregate and if things growing, like I just keep doing what I'm doing. Fair enough. I think, uh, so you're taking this just like bird's eye view of your business and you're like, well, if it's, if it's growing overall, it's fine. Uh, and then I guess you can get these free SEO, these formats, right? For them to figure that out for you. Right. Yeah. I, I don't, I didn't really <laughs> dig into the, into that much of the data. The, the only thing I really took away was, is the, the key suggestions for the fixes, the technical stuff. I didn't, I didn't get into it. The end of the day, I'm, I'm not going to go and really worry too much about, yeah, if I got five articles that there's some overlap on it, like maybe I'll get to it. I got bigger fish to fry, frankly. You know, you only have so much time in a day and so much energy. You've got to dedicate that to what's going to get yes. best results. Yeah, fair enough. And talking about energy and things to do, you outsource most of your content, I guess, because you're publishing many times a day, right? Yes. Yeah. I outsource most of it. And you're using content services from what I've read on your site, right? A variety. I have a few in-house freelancers as well. So I do a real mixed bag right now. Writer Access is probably one of my favorites. You can go lower price, you can go really high end there and everything in between, which I like. A lot of people with certain mm -hmm. niche expertise there, if you got to seek them out. There's a lot of flexibility of that platform, and I like that. And the content's generally okay. very good. Uh, what else am I using? Uh, In-house, a little bit of text broker for some really simple stuff if I need it, and quick, and then I don't care too much. But I think generally speaking, that's about it. Okay. So, and you have a few in-house people as well, right? Yeah, I have some in-house. I'm trying a new service. I'm not going to mention what it is right now. It's way too early. I've just got a few articles back, so mm -hmm. I don't want to mention anything. But uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm constantly trying new services. But the in-house yeah. writers sort of, they sort of just do their thing on a particular site. It's not like they're writing for eight sites. They, they're like, a, I got a smartwatch tech gadget type site because I'm really into smartwatches. So for me, it's like, I, I like buying them. I like tinkering. But I did hire a guy to also do that and write the reviews and take the photos. And that's all he does. And he's really into them too. Okay. So, so that's 
one example of, of, a, of a freelancer working on the sites. That's not what we do usually. We've always struggled with common services. I'm a little bit jealous because that makes the HR so much easier, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> for sure. So yeah, I'm jealous. Maybe I should try a site. Maybe I should make a case study where I just outsource everything to services and see what happens. Do you do anything building? No. Well, like uh, if sites link to me, which they do in droves, yeah, that's great. But I don't pay someone to do outreach and try to get guest posts published and link back to me. No, I don't do any of that. I don't buy links. So you do nothing at all for link building. It just happens. Okay. How long does it take for a new site to take off without link A long time. But just because yeah. I don't link build, right? Like, yeah, yeah I, could, I could probably speed it up many, many times if I invested a few thousand into links. But, um, and I'm not saying I won't ever do that. And I've done mm-hmm. it years ago and I used to do a ton of it, but I just find right now it's like, I, I'm, I have the luxury of being able to be patient and just waiting. And, and in time, the links do arrive and the, the content does rank and traffic grows. So I just take the patient route. You get a higher profit margins as well, because essentially you didn't like pay any, like you didn't pay for someone to build the links or you didn't pay for the links. So in, like, yeah. the money you make at the end is, is, is more profit. Yeah. Links, link, uh, link bill is not cheap. Clearly. Like it's, it's <laughs> like, even if you don't pay for the links, paying the people ends up being actually, and the tools and everything and so on. Like, yeah, it's not cheap. Like we end up, uh, it's like, I think the best we've ever done is like when we were in a health niche and we just invented shotgun skyscraper. Nobody else was doing it. We went down to, I think it was like, I can't, I can't say for sure. So don't quote me exactly, but like four or $5 per link. Wow. But now we've, now we pay way more than that. Um, <laughs> obviously. So like, and it was like a niche where it was easy to do link building kind of like, you know, the, the styles align perfectly, you know, yeah, yeah. but like, yeah, like that, that would be a lot more these days cost per link, but also we are a bit more picky on what links we want to our sites. But yeah, I like it. I like that you do no link building, to be honest. It really makes me want to just uh, start a site, outsource content, not look too much, just pick some random keywords and see what happens, actually. Maybe I should try that, actually. Yeah, whatever. You're making me think, you know? Whatever, whatever your <laughs> hobby is, whatever interests you, just write. It's, it's actually fun. I still like writing for the stuff. I like writing about the trips I take. I like writing about sports I enjoy. I like writing about my car, which I drive daily. You know, this is easy stuff. Like, really. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. And, and visitors. It's fun as well. It's like, it's oh, like yeah. you're actually into it, you know. It's like, it's like a diary. It's like, a, it's therapeutic. I just get to write about my life on a particular site and try to make some jokes. And, and then you write about it. It makes you money. So you live more of your life. So you can write more about exactly. stuff. And just like, oh. it's just a circle, you know. Exactly. After this, I go on bike ride and I can come back and write about my electric bike. Have you ever considered buying drop domains to start your site so that you don't have to think too much about link building, but you get a bit faster success? When it comes to like all that SEO stuff, I don't know anything. I've bought domains by accident. I've registered domains that were previously registered yeah, and they were yeah. cooked and, you know, just a huge delay. And I had to change the, all the sites. So, I don't really know how to do the due diligence to look for those good domains. So I now, my default is to make sure they were never registered. At least it's not registered in Wayback Machine. I I know there are ways to get an advantage. I just don't, that's not my thing. I don't know. I'm not going to learn it. I'm not interested. I just start from scratch, fresh site, and just wait, wait it out. You know, if you're new to this, like 12 months, you're barely going to get a whole lot of results. 12 to 24 months, good things start happening. After the two years, that's when... If you've been consistently publishing really good content, going for the right keywords, it, it takes 24 months to really start seeing some good results. You got to hang in there. It takes a long time. Yeah. I usually tell people the first year you'd rather walk in McDonald's in terms of totally, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally. like, um, then it gets better, but usually the first year is like, yeah, it's, it's pretty much 
was done with McDonald's job. Yeah, it's it's no money. You're working for nothing, and you're working on a, on a on a hope. But I'm glad. I'm glad it's like that. If it was fast money, there would be so much more competition. For sure, I know. Um, so I am glad it works that way because it just keeps <laughs> keeps enough people away so that we can keep doing this. You know, have you ever considered selling websites? Like, um, are you just gonna expand forever? Uh, yeah, no. I'll ultimately sell them. I imagine. I don't know. I'm probably no. I know I'm not objective enough about this. I probably should sell some. I tend to always think they're going to they're going to grow in value and they're going to grow forever. And I don't. I'm not objective about that. I get emotionally sort of impacts my decision making. Mm-hmm. So I should sell, but I don't. I don't have any plans to sell any now. But who knows? I mean, I got a lot of sites right now, and 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 that's another reason I wanted to expand into a lot of sites. Is let's say I could get a handful of them to five thousand dollars per month. Rather than having one site, which is your whole business, you sell that site, you're out of business. But if you have a handful of sites and you sell one, you get a nice cash influx and you're still in business. So that was another reason for that. So yeah, maybe, I mean, you know, I get a, get a couple of sites to five or $10,000 per month. That could be a, a good way to um, get some cash to maybe try something different. Yeah. But I mean, it looks like you're doing fine with the cash flow situation of your company based on your income report. So it's like, I guess you could do that without selling your sites. So I can see why you're not selling. Yeah. You know, if you don't need the cash right now to do the stuff and you can already do the stuff you want, then there's not much incentive. But it's true. It's like, you know, things go down as well. I mean, look for us, like House Ambition went down a lot, for example. Which um, And House Ambition, um, the health site we had. Oh, and yeah. Like, you know, with the, the medic update, it went down a lot. I mean, like everyone knows about this, but we should probably have sold it. I would probably be like quite a bit, uh, have quite a bit more money in the bank account if I sold it at the right time. So these things can happen. It's easy to look at us and be like, oh, this happened to them, but it can happen to anyone. And that's the business, <laughs> especially when you're just at the wrong time in the wrong place. It just happens, you know? So yeah. yeah. But at the same time, if you're largely cash flow positive, maybe just collecting the check every month. If it lasts long enough, even if it crashes eventually, you might just make the same money that, as if you sold the site, you know? True. That's true. It's a good point. So it's like, it's kind of like, hey, can I still make this money for two years or something? And usually if you believe that the next two years would be fine, I would probably hold. And if you're not sure, then maybe consider selling. If you started over today and had a day job, would you do what you do now or would you do something different? I know I do what I do now because this is what I like doing. I tried a lot of things, but I wouldn't do this business if I didn't like it. This isn't like because I think there's a lot of money or, you know, I like doing being my own boss or any of the collateral benefits as I call them. I do it because I like it. I like writing for my sites. I like hiring writers for my sites. I like watching them grow. I really like almost every aspect of this. So no, I would do exactly what I'm doing and it would be a content business. It would be monetized with display ads. I would focus on one site if I were starting over and I had a day job. I mean, I think there's just no way, unless you had a ton of disposable money from your day job and you could finance a whole bunch, but that's unlikely. So yeah, no, I would do exactly what I'm doing. I would write all the content. So I would pick a niche that I'd be very, very interested in so that I could write really good content. I know a lot of people say pick based on, on the money. For me, it's just so much better to pick on what you're interested in or what you're doing. Yeah, we do both actually. So in our course, it's like, you know, you do all the, the money stuff. And then at the end, there's a big section, like, are you still interested? So we make people work in all the niches for a while. And we're like, well, the point of all of this was not just to collect all the data, is to see if you're puking in your mouth next time you open the spreadsheet when <laughs> yeah. you work on this. <laughs> yeah, and if you do, probably you should not do that because there's hundreds of hours ahead of you. Yes. So it's like it, we use that as a test for people to essentially good, like I like that. play around and like read the competitor sites and like do some keyword research, do some all of that. So they get to do a bit of everything. And then they're like, well, 
you want to do a lot more of this or not, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I agree. Like you need, you need to enjoy it to some degree. Like I've started sightseeing niches I didn't like, and usually they were not that successful. And the sightseeing niches I enjoy, even if the niche is objectively worse, tends to do better than was expected initially. Even though obviously some niches make more money than others as well. But in display ads, I would say it's a lot flatter in terms of niches versus affiliate marketing. Right? Affiliate marketing, oh yeah, you go in the mattress niche, you can make millions. Yeah, you go into I don't know, like a random phone protection stuff or whatever, like stuff that's really cheap or something, like you're not going to make a lot of money. It's like, but for ads, because of retargeting, because of audience targeting, instead of like, what's the contextual content of the page and the way ad networks work, it's a lot flatter. And I think that's also good. I think it's like for people who like do the niche research and effect marketing, they're like, it wouldn't work, but they really want to work in that niche. Maybe they should look at your model actually. Yeah. It makes a difference if you like what you're doing. If you like the topic, it helps. Cool. My last question is, what's your plan for the future? I'm gonna, Are you changing anything? No, I'm doing exactly what I'm doing. I mean, I'm doubling down big time. I think like looking at from an investment perspective, investing in content right now is a good investment. It could be wrong in 12 months. But for now, at least, you know, looking at the results I've been getting, it's good. No, I, I'm sticking to the exactly what I've done now for several years. It's, it's working really well. Best place to be. Like usually when people tell you they have brand new projects that they're not so excited about what they're doing right now. No, um, yeah. So if, if you say that, that means you're really happy about what you're doing. Okay. Is there anything I should have asked you? I forgot to ask that we should have talked about. No, I, I think you covered the gambit. Thorough. Appreciate it. All right. Well, no worries. I spent like, uh, I spent like half a day just reading your blog, your newsletter. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know, I wanted to do it properly. Well, I just uh, want to thank you for joining. And if people want to read more about your stuff, where should they go? Uh, PetSexBlog.com. That's pretty much the blog. You can see access to the YouTube channel, podcast, whatever. But the the blog is the, the central point. Yeah, I like it because you just talk about your real life experiences running websites and they're not, then definitely, I'm surprised sometimes, not keyword oriented articles. You just write whatever you feel like writing. And sometimes I see your titles, I'm like, what's going on here? I know. <laughs> I know a lot of people do. You know what? That's like for me is, is again, I like talking yeah, yeah. about this stuff. I like writing about this stuff. I just I just put out there what I think is interesting and, and hopefully maybe it, it provides a tip. That's that's all I'm doing there. It doesn't get a lot of traffic. It really doesn't. It's not a big site, but I have fun doing it and some people find the site and that's great. And so I might work a little bit on the keywords, but I just try to have fun with it. Fair enough. I think people would would enjoy it actually. Like uh, and people, a lot of people like the income reports. So John has some income report there. So if you want to follow him, etc. Yeah. Like people love following that stuff. So Go ahead, check it out. I hope we send you some traffic here. And I want to thank you for joining the podcast. That was really interesting. Maybe we'll do a follow-up maybe in a year or two or something just to uh, see how all of that is going. But yeah, thank you again for joining. That was really great. Yeah, thanks a lot, Gal. Appreciate it. All right. So we're going to close it here, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to click on the subscribe button below and drop us a thumb up. You can also subscribe on all the audio platforms. And we'll see you next week for another episode with Mark this time.